thanks for pressing play. What happens after someone Googles you or your brand or your company matters. Your digital reputation matters. So I asked the legendary Josh Green, who's the CEO of the Mather Group, to come and educate us on how to proactively manage our digital reputations. And that's what you're about to hear. We're sponsored by my friends at Oracle NetSuite, the world's number one cloud business system. NetSuite is the foundation for your future. Visit netsuite.com slash different today for your free product tour. That's netsuite.com slash different because the future needs you. And my friends at Splunk are the leaders in data to everything. They bring data to every question, every decision, and every action. Visit splunk.com slash D, the number two, the letter E. That's Splunk.com slash D2E. And I'd like to encourage you to go to Lockhead.com and sign up for our newsletter because we are about to launch a brand new newsletter. We believe it's the first one ever on category creation and category design. It's called Category Pirates, and we'd love you to get your pirating on with us. Now, hey-ho, let's go. This is Lockheed on Marketing, the podcast that helps you develop the lens for what makes legendary marketing legendary. Hosted by Christopher Lockhead, three-time CMO, godfather of category design, and a high school dropout, who the Marketing Journal calls one of the best minds in marketing, and The Economist calls off-putting to some. So, Josh, it's great to see you. It's great to be on. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm really excited. I, uh, you're a fascinating guy. So, uh, here's sort of an idea. I think we live at a time where, when most of us get introduced to somebody new, one of the very first things we do after somebody says, "Hey, I want to introduce you to Josh Green," I'm going to Google you, and I think that's pretty pretty normal. And in a in a work world where you know, I saw a post from a dear friend of mine, Dushka Zapata, who's rough and tough six months into a new job. And she, her post was all about the fact that she's never met the people that she works with in person. And so we're living in this digital first world, right? And so I just think it's a natural thing when we meet somebody. I think a lot of us Google them. So this leads me to a question, which is, but yet most of us um, don't know how to take responsibility for what happens after somebody types Josh Green into that little box. And so maybe let's use that as a jumping off point in terms of how do I manage what happens after somebody starts searching for me? Absolutely. And really the first thing that you want to do is take a look at the overall results when someone uh, searches on your name and take stock of how many of those results are items that you control or are about you, and then start thinking about whether you would like to have more mentions of yourself on that page or the ones that are already there, are they conveying what you would like them to convey um, to the world when the world looks at you? Um, so uh, if, they, if they Google you, are you the world's... Uh, best stockbroker or are you a stockbroker who's been barred three times from the industry very different results very different impact could be the same person um, but but what shows up in Google especially on that first page is really gonna 
influence a large chunk of the world of, of their first impression of you. Yeah. It's interesting. My buddy, Isaac Morehouse, who's the founder of Crash, one of the things he says is that I love is be your own credential. And of course, part of that is what do people see about you digitally when they start digging around? And so, um, you know, when you and I met, I didn't know much about how I myself, or for that matter, if I'm a CEO or a CMO or an entrepreneur, what have you, uh, my company, you can actually take control over a fair amount of what happens after somebody types in your name, can't you? You can, you can. Um, and I think you're a great example of of someone who's done a nice job of that, whether intentionally or not. It wasn't. So tell tell me why. Because <laughs> when you and I first met, you told me that you said that hey, the shit that comes up is good. And I, anyway, tell me about what you saw and what was good and what was not good, and how that applies more broadly to other people and other companies. Well, when I took a look at your name, there was a nothing negative really on the front page at all. You had your Twitter feed was showing up in the top three or four results, which is usually a subconscious cue that someone's something of an authority in their area or Google's algorithm thinks that. Over on the top right side of those search results is what's called the knowledge panel. And most people, it's powered by their Wikipedia page. Um, in your case, it was powered by your Amazon bio, which is, um, I suspect, both something you or a publicist have written and also very flattering um, and also much more positive than a typical Wikipedia result would be there, which is a much more neutral encyclopedic sounding entry. And the nice thing for you is people are so used to seeing Wikipedia content there uh, that when they see that you're a number one podcaster and author and, and cult classic writer, they assume those things are all automatically true because they're used to Wikipedia as a source of truth being um, there. And in your case, you're probably the, you were the first person I ever saw who had something other than Wikipedia showing up there in a meaningful way. Um, I've seen a couple others since, since then and started looking for it. But really, if someone looks at this page, they're going to say, wow, this is someone who's, you know, a thought leader in his space, who's accomplished a bunch of things, which is is a really great start to anyone trying to learn more about you. So so thank you. That's cool. And the other interesting thing to me is I knew none of that. Uh, I don't regularly Google myself, so it wasn't something I had done for quite some time. And I had no context for any of that. And so when you said I did a bunch of things right, whatever I was doing was not done to produce that outcome, but it did. And so I'm curious if I'm somebody who wants that kind of an outcome and I don't, I haven't gotten it sort of uh, accidentally or as a result of other things I was doing that I didn't know would, would yield that outcome. If I was an executive or an entrepreneur or a marketer or, or a creator of some kind and I wanted a a positive Google outcome like that, what would be the kinds of things that you would counsel me to do, Josh? Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's very similar to when we talk about search engine optimization. And oftentimes um, the, the line is PR is the best search engine optimization, meaning if you're getting a lot of good PR, you're going to have organically good search results. If you're doing a lot of things that are 
sort of leading in an industry, that generally is going to lead to good results in the search engines. If you write books, if you start a podcast, if you have a Twitter feed that lots of people find useful, if your videos are getting lots of views, all of those things play a big role in what's showing up in the Google search results. So if you were not a famous author, you would want to try and send Google all those signals that would say, hey, I'm noteworthy and you should treat my content a certain way. So there are a number of different things you can do. One of the easiest for anyone who's thinking about this is if you look at a lot of the search results you control, like your LinkedIn result or whatever the bio on your homepage is or your Amazon bio, those are things that you can sort of write yourself which send signals. So for example, your LinkedIn intro can have either a couple of sentences about who you are and what you do, or it could just say LinkedIn, Josh Green, Tyson's Corner, Vienna. You know, one of those things sends off a whole lot more of a signal. I hate to interrupt you, Josh, but what does your LinkedIn profile say? Oh, see, I've got your page pulled up right now, so I could tell you <laughs> what your, your page, page up. I'll look at your shit while you look at my shit. All How's right, that? That, that sounds good. But you, you've got, you know, host of two award-winning chart-topping podcasts and author of two instant classics. So, you know, someone's going to look at that and say, I see what I, I, I see what Lockhead is into. Uh, he's, he's an author. He's a podcaster. You know, clearly he's got, he's got a lot going on. And that that really conveys something different. Same thing with a bio on Amazon, a bio on Medium. In your case, you've you've pretty much got the entire first page covered, which is which is great. What does that mean? I have the first page covered. Every result, if I search on your name, is is something about you. For example, I uh, share a name with a world famous psychologist who's had a number of books published, works at Harvard, is in the news all the time. So. For just a pure search on Josh Green, I'm never going to be the only one who shows up there. So what I want to do is make sure when people are looking for me, you know, they may do Josh Green Mather Group because that's the name of my company. And that's where I start to show up more. Um, and what you'll see is, you know, if you do that search, you'll get a number of things sort of indicating who we are, what we do and hopefully giving people a, a positive impression of things. Now, one of the advantages I have is I do have an unusual last name, or let me say it this way, a less common last name, certainly in North America. Scotland's the only country in the world I go to where I don't have to spell my last name, <laughs> you know, because everybody throws in a K and it's two H's and no K. So it's also hard to hard to spell. A lot of people get it wrong and spell it L-O-C-K. But anyway, regardless of all of that, I do have a name that is fairly unique. There aren't tons of Lockheads, even in Scotland. There's a handful. There's a, a gal who's a writer named Carolyn Lockhead, and there's a member of parliament in, in, in Scotland named Richard Lockhead. Anyway, but there aren't a ton. But if I'm, you know, Josh Green is a little more of a uh, common name, or if I'm... You know, if my name is Joe Johnson or some like very, very common name, I assume the more common my name is, the tougher this gets. Is that right? It is. It gets a little more challenging. And 
it's very similar to how um, like an e-commerce company might optimize their product by using slightly longer searches. Um, if I'm Josh Green, I'm probably going to be known for SEO or Wikipedia or something like that. So what I'll what I'll do is I'll punch in Josh Green SEO and see what comes up um, because the assumption and you can look at your your stats on your website to, to back it up, um, people will usually throw a qualifier in if they can't figure out um, where you are on the first page. So it might be uh, Josh Green doctor, Josh Green founder of Paw Patrol, whatever that search phrase is that I'm going to want to be optimized on that's usually where you start by taking a look. And should I think about like one phrase that I'm trying to own? So if I'm a, um, if I'm a doctor and my, my name is, you know, Steve Johnson, first there's Steve Johnson doctor, but there's probably lots of Steve Johnson doctors, but maybe I'm an optometrist. So I, now I want to start ranking for Steve Johnson optometrist. Is that, so the more niche down the modifier, the better, is that how I should think about it or how should I think about it? Yeah, that's a good way to think about it. The more the more niche it is, the more opportunity there is to own that branding. Um, and usually, in this case, it would be either an occupation or a geographical location. So Steve Johnson, optometrist, San Francisco, California, is going to be something where you could own an awful lot of that shelf space. And if that's the phrase that people are going to be using to search on you, that's what you want to optimize for. You're going to have a much easier time doing that than you would the the one or two word phrases. So if I'm someone who doesn't uh, rank when my name gets Googled very much, the first thing I need to think about is what is the niche and or niches I want to rank for. Some could be geo-based, San Francisco, veterinarian, optometrist, whatever. Um, some of them could be topic or field or area of expertise based. You're a carpenter you're a, a marketing person you're a whatever you are and then so 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 i have to figure out what those two to what is it two to five maybe key criteria that people might be using to, to find me yeah and there are a number of tools out there that will let you see sort of what kind of traffic different different phrases are getting or you can use something like google console to see how people are getting to your site and that'll give you a feel for, you know, are you an optometrist? Are you an eye doctor? Uh, you know, which phrase do you do you want to show up for? Or which phrase do you want to put the vast majority of, of your effort on? And the more you can sort of have that um, brand stick in someone's head or, or, you know, category, as I know, is, is near and dear to your heart, you know, the, the more you'll be able to sort of own that, that, shelf space because there won't be as many competitors there. And then is the reason I rank the way that I do, is it a function of the amount of content that I've put out or, or like, so what makes, so if I'm somebody starting from scratch and I'm trying to build this position for myself so that when they Google my name and a modifier or two that represents a niche or a geography or both that I want to start ranking for, how, how do I go about thinking about teaching Google to think about me first, as opposed to the other 400 Jim Johnsons out there. Yeah. And some of that is just thinking about what's out there and what are you doing well on maybe 
up until this point, you've never consciously thought about it, but maybe you're showing up for Jim Johnson. Maybe you're the preeminent Jim Johnson on LinkedIn. So that LinkedIn result for Jim Johnson happens to be you. So that's something you can leverage or figure out what you can take advantage of. And then what other things are you doing? Most of the time, you don't want to create content specifically for this purpose. It's more, what else are you doing already that's out there that you could um, you know, use to tell that story about yourself? So for example, most people you know, have a, a LinkedIn, a Twitter page, a Facebook page, um, or some combination where there is a bio or an intro of them. So the ones you control are usually the ones I would suggest to look at first. So for example, if I was looking at your search, the very top result is your homepage. And your homepage, the, the title of that page is home. Christopher Lockhead, follow your different you know, most people probably do not need to be informed your homepage is called home. You could probably use uh, something else there. So I could fix that. <laughs> you, you could, you could fix that. Maybe we can talk after we're doing this <laughs> yes, podcast. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, in, in your case, it doesn't make a whole lot of difference because, you know, a little bit further down, there's an about page and it's sort of clear what's going on there. But if, for example, you only have one entry in the top 10, in that case, you really want to make sure you're, you're telling your story as much as you possibly can. And so is that a function of how much content I create or where that content goes or how much people interact with that content? Or, you know, the other one I've heard a lot, and I'm no expert in any of this digital marketing shit, is, you know, what you'll want are linkbacks. Everybody loses their mind about, like, linkbacks. And and as an author and a podcaster and a guy that's guested on a bunch of podcasts, I have articles and podcasts that link back to my website. And so... I guess I didn't know it at the time, but I've been told by other digital marketing experts that part of why I get these results are the link backs. But I'm just curious, what are all the things, if I was starting from scratch, that I should, what are the highest order bits in terms of teaching Google to uh, rank me where I want to be ranked if I'm starting from scratch? Yeah. If, If you're just starting out, the first thing is just take an inventory of what your assets currently are. Um, what is your digital presence? It may be that you are a regular guest on a podcast or you only use LinkedIn and your iDoctor website. So you've got two things. Some people publish content a lot of different places. So you're at the confluence of a few different things. You have content in a lot of places. You have a name that's pretty unique. And then you have a large amount of essentially what's called domain authority from all those links back from other places. And the 30-second condensation of, of search engine optimization is Google views links back to your site as votes for your site. Some links are much more valuable. If you're in, say, the New York Times, that's a whole lot more valuable than um, the local newspaper And that's a whole lot more valuable than your neighbor's blog, unless they're immensely popular for some reason. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, Thanks to my buddy, Eddie Yoon, 
um, he and I together have written a handful of articles for the Harvard Business Review. Right. And I had another social media marketing expert say to me, to your point, I hadn't thought about it at the time. We were just working on the articles and, and I've, I've worshipped the HBR since I was a kid. So uh, getting to write for the HBR is, is a thrill of a lifetime. But uh, that's sort of where my mind was at. But what I didn't realize is the point that you made, which is when there's a number of articles in the HBR that link back to your website, like that Google goes, Oh shit, that's the HBR. That's not just, uh, you know, uh, Cindy schmooze blog or whatever. Yeah, exactly. I, there, there's a reason Amazon or Wikipedia are almost always going to be in the top three for any search result because Google gives them so much domain authority or so much street cred that if Amazon publish it, publishes a page on Tickle Me Elmo, they figure it's going to be in the top three results that anyone wants to see. Same thing if there was a Wikipedia article about it. So the, the challenge is, if I also was named Christopher Lockhead, I either would have to be, be doing as many equally high-profile link-back things or I would have to try and figure out how could I game the system to pretend I was at least that notable. You know, as a side note, Josh, uh, I'm friends on social media with two other Christopher Lockheads. Mm-hmm. One of them lives in the UK and one of them lives in Canada, actually not that far from where I used to live outside of Toronto. And um, and so I've met him, the one that lives in Canada, on a visit up to see my family. Uh, my mom and I actually met him, and he, he calls my mom aunt, which is really, which is really fun. But anyway, and he's a great guy, and he's a dad, and he seems like he has a wonderful life and all that. And and w- what he does doesn't really require much of a social media presence or anything like that. Anyway, one of the things he did say to me is, he says, "Man, you know, you've done a hell of a lot more with our name than I have." <laughs> And uh, that's, you know, that's one of the nice benefits of, you know, being very visible and, and doing a lot of high profile work or where you have, you know, links coming back is, is a nice side effect is without doing very much, if anything, consciously, you've got this page that has a ton of rankings for a lot of different things. And I suspect even if that Christopher Lockhead had put in some level of effort, he'd probably only get one or two of those slots on the first page, usually because Google's like, well, we'll throw another result in there just to see if maybe you're not interested in our main result. But yeah, for a lot of people who are probably listening, who are very visible, um, these results are probably a lot further along than than they would be for someone who, uh, like your your namesake, your name yeah. twin. Um, My name who, twin, I like that. <laughs> yeah, your, your name twin, who's never really done much of anything online. Um, so that's, uh, you know, that's a nice part for people who are very, very active in their field and, and sort of well uh, respected because that there's sort of a, an equivalent almost in terms of how Google's algorithm is viewing things. Uh, here's something I'm curious about. Does your average uh, business person, entrepreneur, uh, student, uh, employee at a company, d- should they have their own website, their own personal website? Probably not, unless you've got a really specific reason for having it and want to spend the time to maintain it. You can do your your own website really well, and it can be a calling card. 
or you can do it poorly and, and have sort of the personal equivalent of one of those sad corporate social media accounts that they set up and then forgot about in 2016. So for a lot of people, you know, your LinkedIn profile is almost your professional website because it's sort of got that resume impact. You can publish almost anything you want on it. So then the question is, why do you, uh, why do you need your own website? If there's a good reason, then by all means. But it's one of those things where if you're going to try and figure out how to do it on your own, there's a whole lot of other platforms that'll probably be much more effective for you. So I, I can be successful in terms of having a professional digital profile with other means, LinkedIn being the primary one? I would say LinkedIn first and then Twitter is, is probably the second. Those, those generally get the biggest uh, bang for the buck or recognition within uh, Google search results. And does it hurt me if I have, you know, I mean, I have friends who have like 12 Twitter followers and they're following 50 people. Does that, does that matter? Or I mean, how, how does that all work? Like, uh, in other words, if you're not going to dedicate time and effort to building up some kind of a reasonable following on Twitter, does it hurt you to not be uh, that well followed on Twitter? It doesn't hurt you. The people who um, have essentially this Twitter card that shows up on the, the Google search results tend to be people or companies that are fairly prominent and that Google's seeing signs that their Twitter feed is useful. Um, Google really likes recency. Um, they like, like authoritativeness. If you updated your Twitter feed once every 15 days, I suspect Twitter would drop from being your, your number two result to just drop, dropping off the front page altogether. A friend of yours who has you know, 15 followers and, and tweets, you know, basketball scores maybe is fine if it's doing what they want it to do. It's just not going to show up in the Google search results for anything. It, it tends to be another one of those side effects of, of sort of high visibility having the, the Twitter card show up. Interesting. And are there certain platforms as a business person, as a marketer, as an entrepreneur that are more effective than others? And, and here's specifically what I mean, Josh. I don't have any fucking followers on Instagram. Right. Uh, and I, it's not, I don't know what to do with Instagram. I, as a user, I enjoy it. I post photos of my chickens and my cats. Um, every once in a while, I post something business oriented or I'll put a clip up from our podcast. But I'm not, I'm not trying to use Instagram to market any of my shit. Because frankly, I don't feel like I understand Instagram I'm somewhere in between with Twitter where I sort of get it, but I sort of don't. I don't think I'm great on Twitter, but I'm, okay. I'm not terrible. But the one that seems to work most, feel most natural to me is LinkedIn. And so is there a certain sort of hierarchy of these if you're a business person or are there just certain people that are, are more effective on different platforms? Or how do I think about if I'm only going to invest my time in one or two of these, because I'm a person with a job and I need to get shit done and I'm not some, you know, crazy social media maniac who wants to be looking at my Twitter or LinkedIn all day, but, you know, but I want to be active and professional. How should I think about sort of the platform question? Yeah, I, I would say there are two factors. One is, does it play to your strengths? And then what are you trying to do? Who's the audience you're trying to reach with it? 
So it could be that you're a fantastic guitarist and Instagram is a nice format for showing off your guitar playing chops. That could be because you just love playing guitar and want to find a community, or it could be because you're trying to sell guitar lessons, in which case the combo of those two is, is kind of a sweet spot for you. For a lot of, a lot of people who don't have a ton of time, Twitter can be useful because you can curate news to a particular audience that might be following you. And if you're, you know, if you're in a particular uh, corporate role, sometimes LinkedIn can be really useful because you don't need to publish a ton to get a lot of eyeballs on something. If you're, you know, the director of product for a cybersecurity product, you don't need a whole ton of eyeballs on something you write to be, to presumably have some of the results you would be hoping for from that. It could be people in your industry, people in your company, they'll see it if it's on LinkedIn. They probably wouldn't see it if it was on Twitter or Instagram or TikTok or wherever you might want to be. Right. So you want to find something you can maintain and then you want to see, is it going to be relevant to, to what you're trying to achieve? Yeah, because for me, and I don't know if I'm different or whatever, it's LinkedIn is probably number one and number two. And then, you know, Twitter and Facebook is probably number number three. And then after that, you know, LinkedIn is, I view, or excuse me, uh, Instagram, I just use as sort of for fun. I don't, it's, there's nothing professional I'm trying to get done on LinkedIn. Oh, excuse me, on Instagram. On LinkedIn, I'm trying to get professional things done. And on Twitter and Facebook, I'm sort of somewhere in between personal and professional. Now, um, the other one that's interesting about you is you are a master at a at a black art that is a mystery to so many, which is this thing called Wikipedia. And I don't know how things get on Wikipedia. I don't know what gets accepted and rejected. And there's a sort of a secret handshake about it. And, and I know, you know, a lot of CEOs say, oh, you got to get on Wikipedia or companies have shitty things written about them on Wikipedia and they want to get it fixed or this and that. And, and anytime I've tried as a user to contribute things, even things that were, had nothing to do with me or a company I was involved with, just, you know, something that I tried to contribute, I seem to have my hand slapped by some uh, man or woman behind a curtain that I don't understand. And so what's this black art of Wikipedia and how, how does one get oneself on Wikipedia or your company or, or, you know, I was amazed when category design showed up on Wikipedia and I was amazed when Podstorm showed up on Wikipedia and things like this. Yeah, it's uh, Wikipedia is, is uh, an online subculture all its own, um, having started out with the idea that anyone can help contribute to sort of the sum of, of the world's knowledge, which is a admirable, laudable goal and something that is, has been done or attempted to be done throughout millennia. Um, the, the challenge is you mix that with internet culture and you end up with an interesting place to visit that will appeal to almost any type of editing one might want to be involved in. There are people who do nothing but chase down punctuation or spelling errors on Wikipedia because that's that's their thing. They're people who only uh, edit articles about sports figures. But one of the unfortunate side effects of Wikipedia's prominence is you have a lot of people who also would like to game the system. So there's a very complicated set of rules that's been 
sort of evolved over time to handle a lot of different situations that have arisen. And the challenge is a lot of those are very counterintuitive if you're coming from a marketing or a PR background. Um, you know, th- and so undoubtedly you ran across something like that where you were trying to be helpful and probably inadvertently violated some sort of Wikipedia rule or norm. Um, and then someone, you know, just reverted your edit or took it down and, and, uh, yeah. And I, I can't, I wish I could remember what it was, but there was some Wikipedia page about, I'm sure it'll come to me as soon as we're done, but it had nothing to do with me or any, I wasn't trying to promote myself or my company, any of that shit. It was something. And so I thought, you know, I'd really like to contribute here. And I, added it and I got my hand slapped. The the other place that's like that for me that I have no business being <laughs> is Reddit. <laughs> I don't understand what the fuck's going on in Reddit. I don't know why you contribute to it or how you participate in it. That was another one. I stepped into it and, went, and I went, okay, I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah. Similar sort of thing there, there too, that, you know, that the, the norms have evolved over time and, and sort of getting caught up to them can be really challenging. You know, with Wikipedia, there's everything from tone of voice, where you need to sound encyclopedic. So most of the adjectives that marketers might like tend to get frowned upon. Um, and then you need to have citations for things that are that you're posting, whether or not they're they're facts, whether it's been published somewhere, um, and the rules on what counts as a source and what doesn't count as a source are very detailed. And you're not allowed to use self-published sources. So a lot of people at, you know, companies or CEOs say, well, it's on our website, which it is in fact on the website, but you're not allowed to cite yourself. So that dings out a lot of things people might want to update. You also end up with, with occasionally some absurd situations as a result of that as well. So bottom line on Wikipedia, if I'm a CEO or a CMO, and I want to have influence or tell me how to think about it, about my company's Wikipedia page, uh, the Wikipedia page about my category, my own personal Wikipedia page, if I have one or if I want one. Essentially, you got to you can't just log on there and start going like I tried to because you're going to get your hand slapped. You, you've got to work with somebody who knows all the secret handshakes. Is that is that what I'm hearing, Josh? Yeah, that would be my advice is, is find someone who knows how Wikipedia works. Oftentimes, in a lot of companies, it may be the, the people who are actual Wikipedia editors may be at a, at a very junior level because they're involved because of a passion project. I started editing Wikipedia because I was I was passionate about track and field, not because I had any greater purpose involved, but yes, you're much better off finding someone who understands Wikipedia than saying to some poor person in your PR department, go edit Wikipedia. It's wrong. I want it fixed, which is roughly the equivalent of saying something's wrong on the internet. Hold on. I'm going to go take care of it. (laughs) And I think one of them, if I, if I sort of wear my category designer hat for a second, one of the major, the long uh, poles in the tent when designing a new category and launching it is third-party external validation. And so let's say you and I are coming together as entrepreneurs and we're creating the carbodingulator category. One of the long poles in the tent is to have an entry in Wikipedia that says carbodingulator. And hopefully so that when people type in carbodingulator to Google, uh, normally Wikipedia is what one of the first 
three. One to three that shows up. Yeah. And that that Wikipedia page about carbodingulators says plus or minus what our definition of this new category we're trying to create or design is. And so if you look at it through that lens, uh, Josh, what does it take to get a new category of product or service um, into Wikipedia? Yeah, it really sort of needs to hit some level of critical mass where someone's going to say, hey, there's something going on in the carbon dingulator space. I've seen you know, articles across a number of trade publications, and I'm going to write an article about that using the news sources. My experience has been people are always eager to create new Wikipedia pages, Wikipedia editors, that is, because there's a certain amount of, of street cred and pride in, in I, I wrote the definitive page on Carbon Dingulator in, in 2020, and now it's 2025, and it's a $5 billion market for, for dingulators. And so usually what will happen is after a certain amount of press or awareness is out there, that people will will start to put that together and, and put pages together. Um, there are places within Wikipedia where you can request for a new page to be created. Sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. But you could very well say, hey, there have been these five articles about the carbodingulator industry and um, sort of use that as the basis to start putting together a draft page. So is this where we, you know, one of the things that I like to talk about with marketers is this idea of the multiplier effect. That is when you go to execute uh, a marketing uh, execution, whether it's a campaign or a full on lightning strike or whatever it is, as you look at each component of the mix that you're using in that marketing effort, try not to think about them as discrete, try to, about, try to think about them as being deeply coupled and that each execution, whether it's a press release, an interview that you do, uh, an ad that you bought, whatever it is, any component of the marketing mix you can think of that each multiplies the value of the other. So, you know, if we're spending a million dollars on this this campaign, this lightning strike, whatever it is, it feels like we spent a hundred million dollars, right? We should, that's the objective. And so um, with that said, Josh, when I think about my PR outcome, getting the story in an industry trade website that covers my space or getting a grand slam like a Wall Street Journal or a New York Times or The Economist or what have you um, to write about my company and even hopefully use the term carbodingulator in, in the article. When those things start to happen, those are things that I can use to link to as third-party validation when I go to then set up my carbodingulator uh, Wikipedia page. Yes. And is there a... Do I sort of have to wait till I have enough of that? Like is, if I go and try to create the Carbodingulator page sort of the day we're or the day before we launch this thing and there's no real third party stuff and, you know, there's nothing substantive I can point to. Am I going to get my hand slapped on Wikipedia? Uh, you will. Yes. Um, there's there's what's called the notability threshold to get over uh, in terms of usually for a company, it's five to seven third party profiles, not interviews, not quotes, but third-party unbiased profiles of a particular organization or concept. And for things that are currently going on, it tends to be a little bit more difficult just because the Wikipedia community is skeptical of 
marketers trying to do exactly this. Um, so usually it's more something that comes along a little bit further along in the trend. So over the last month, um, there's been a ton of articles about carbodingulator and it sort of hits that critical mass. It's, I suspect, likely what happened with COVID. You know, it wasn't there, it wasn't there. There were 50 articles and then someone wrote a Wikipedia article because it was clearly something that was that was going on and needed to be in an encyclopedia. My memory, Josh, is that's what happened with category design, um, that it didn't show up in Wikipedia until Play Bigger the Book had come out and there were HBR articles and there were all sorts of reviews and ink magazine and this magazine and that magazine, you know, all that sort of stuff. And then, then uh, we all started to do some interviews and podcasts and, you know, and before you know it, it showed up. So, so if I want to be on Wikipedia and I, I it's better for me to wait and build sort of a, a, a treasure chest of third party uh, evidence. And then, this is not something I should go do on my own. I mean, I know you do this and I know you're trying not to be self-promotional, which I respect and appreciate. But the reality is if I'm a CMO, I can't expect my social media marketing person or team to do this on their own necessarily. I should find somebody who understands all the secret handshakes and ins and outs of Wikipedia because somebody like you or somebody who has the expertise that you, you folks have can get this done in a way that there's no way even a savvy social media person will probably be able to figure out on their own. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's a good summary is, is you want to find someone who, you know, is familiar with Wikipedia and can guide you through whether you're at a point where it, it makes sense or not. Um, you know, the analogy we, we often use is you, you could, absolutely try and change your car's oil yourself if you wanted to. You can absolutely try and publish a Wikipedia page if you want to. Um, you know, you may not get that far down the road. Um, I don't think my car would even leave the driveway. Um, so, so yeah. And, and if you have someone on your team who's interested in learning, Wikipedia has a ton of fabulous resources. Um, if someone likes reading Unix manuals in their spare time, they'll probably like learning about Wikipedia rules. So there are a number of different ways to approach it, but, but assuming it's the same as just putting out a press release is, is going to cause trouble down the road. Got it. Now, I want to be super respectful of your time, Josh. Is there anything else that you would like to touch on uh, sort of overall about how I manage my uh, whether it's myself individually or my company or even my category for that matter, that our digital presence, our online presence in a way so that when people Google either us, our company or our category, um, sort of we are, to put it bluntly, in control of the narrative. I think the, the thing really that, that's basic and gets overlooked a ton is the resources you already have how they present you, I, I would guess that probably 60% of the people listening to this haven't checked what their LinkedIn about section says about them in years. And if you've got a narrative, that's probably not the same as it was when you initially set up your LinkedIn. Maybe you've changed jobs a couple of times. Maybe you're, you know, now in the carbon dingulator space, there's uh there's a lot that you can do right there, which isn't going to cost you any money. It's just going to cost you a little bit of time thinking about yourself. Um, 
I would say that's the place where you can start and where you can make an immediate impact. You know, from there, there are a lot of things you can do, but that that's really one key one that that is often overlooked because there are a lot of things that you can spend money on right away if you're, you know, excited about it, but really just seeing where you're at and how you can impact it um, in terms of how you're defining yourself is is really a key place to start. And then I assume from there, you pick a few platforms that for one reason or another are uh, feel natural to you or are where you think your audience is or your potential customers are. Try to try because one of the mistakes I've made by way of example is, you know, I tried to do too many. I yeah. remember I talked to a podcaster early on. He was, he was telling me, oh, we got a ton of new listeners on Pinterest. I was like, all right. I went and set up a Pinterest page and I started putting some shit on there and nothing happened and I didn't understand it. And I was like, and one day I woke up and I'm like, why are we putting shit on Pinterest? Like I'm either going to figure this out or hire somebody or stop doing it. Right. So I've been guilty of chasing the shiny object. I think a lot of us in marketing like to try things and we're creative and this and that, but that can also be our demise, right? We, we need to start with a fairly focused approach in a couple of places and build out from there. Yeah. Especially if you've got limited resources, you know, if you're a one man band or you're, you're a fairly small shop, you know, if you're Oreo, you can probably be on every social media channel and, and, you know, cost justify it in some way, but you want something that you're going to be able to maintain. If you don't care about Pinterest organically, then the odds that you're going to be enthusiastic to learn it and have that shine through are going to be pretty low. So you want something that you're interested in that you can maintain and where you can sort of meet people where you are work-wise. If you've got a rant about marketing, you can put that on LinkedIn very organically, just click and post it versus trying to make memes that would fit into Pinterest is just something that's a whole new, you know, that's a whole project that you might have time for one or two times, but unless something magical happens, you'll never go back to it. So you want something, I think, that that's going to also fit into your workflow or what you're trying to do. LinkedIn might make sense because there are a lot of people who could buy your books there. You know, TikTok, maybe not so much. People aren't going to want to care if you're skateboarding, you know, so if you're doing it, maybe you're doing it because it's a, a passion or something, but but just doing it because it's shiny is really challenging when it comes to new social media. As I have discovered. <laughs> yes, yes. All right, Josh, anything else you'd like to touch on? Well, I just really appreciate you having me on. It's uh, It's a privilege to be here. Well, it's a privilege for me to have you. I've really enjoyed getting to know you and a few little things that we've done together. And uh, I just, I love your brain. You know, you have this creative side of what you do, but you also bring this very analytical, very focused, pr uh, pragmatic approach uh, to what you do. And you have figured out some secret black arts on the internet marketing that I think very few have. And so I appreciate you sharing that with me. Well, thanks for having me on. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Thanks, brother. Well, there he is, the legendary Josh Green. All right. We would like to thank Josh and his company, The Mather Group. Check them out on the internet, The Mather Group. And my good friends at Autrenet, A-T-R-E dot N-E-T, building legendary B2B websites in Silicon Valley for over 20 years. They'll help you conquer your category. And as you may know, the banking system kind of fucks over our black sisters and brothers. And so to deal with that, 
Uh, why not consider making some justice deposits and move part of your cash to black-owned banks so that they have more money to lend? And uh, I need to remind you that today's information is provided to you solely for informational purposes, and this oddcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network. And uh, I need to warn you as well that the creators of this oddcast were probably consuming libations. Remember to spread podcasts, not viruses, and uh, listen to Tom Waits. We are produced and edited by the GOAT, the greatest of all time, Jason DeFilippo. Check out his podcast, Grumpy Old Geeks. They've had some funny grumpy going on lately. Sarah Knox and Jamie J. do technical execution and build Lockhead.com. Show notes by Diane Gervasio. And the thought I'll leave you with is a quote from me. People producing results that build their reputation will always kick the asses of the morons working on their personal brands. All right, that's it. Please stay safe. Take good care of each other. Uh, Stay legendary. And until we're together again, follow your different.